Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at nortonsimon.org. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. Follow Jelly Roll Morton, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz, in this ambitious musical masterpiece that's sure to blow the roof off the theater. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us with critics Claudia Puig, who's the president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and program director for the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. We also welcome to Film Week Manuel Betancourt, who's contributing editor at Film Quarterly. Manuel, it's great to have you with us doing your first reviews on Film Week. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into this week's movies, beginning with with the live-action adaptation of The Little Mermaid, starring Halle Berry, Rob Marshall, the veteran of musical films, directs David McGee, is the screenwriter. Claudia, what did you think of the live-action The Little Mermaid? Well, um, <laughs> the original one from 1989 was pretty perfect, so it's kind of hard to top perfection or even come close to perfection. Um and, of course, it, it sort of kicked off the start of the Disney animation renaissance, um, you know, and afterwards we had Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King. This is definitely not better than the original. Um, it doesn't tarnish the memory of it either. But it, my biggest problem, well, I have a few problems, but one is, is that it's two hours and 15 minutes long. The original was 83 minutes, which was perfect. Now you're talking. Yeah, right? <laughs> so that's the sweet spot. It could have gone to 90 minutes, adding a little backstory, but no more than 90, maybe 95 max. So they added some narrative heft, um, but I'm not sure that was necessary, like a backstory. Like, turns out that Ursula and Triton are brother and sister. They've had this familial feud. Okay, who cares? And, <laughs> um, you know, okay, and then Ariel and Eric did form a more substantial connection. Okay, that's maybe a little better, but... I, I personally don't think any of the Disney reboots are all that particularly necessary, but um, and this one is a little better than some of the others. So it's pretty fun. The original story beats are there. Um, the core remains the same. It made me want to go back and watch the original, which is maybe not what they're. Maybe that's what they're. Which stands to do. up to multiple viewings. It definitely does. If you have kids, you're, it's mandatory. Yes. Well, I've, I can't even count how many times I've seen it with my daughters, <laughs> but that the underwater portions were actually visually quite stunning. Um, the vibrancy of the undersea life and the neon. Coral. Um, the scale is a little confusing, but um, I thought Halle Bailey did a perfectly good job as Ariel. She has a really good voice. Sebastian, voiced by David Diggs, was great, and Melissa McCarthy was fun as Ursula. Javier Bardem was kind of fun as Triton. Um, <laughs> it's great hair. <laughs> um, but as far as the new music, I didn't. I, it was very not memorable, which right. is too bad. The we're, old music was great. We're talking about The Little Mermaid, starring Halle Bailey, the film directed by Rob Marshall, written by David McGee. Manuel, what did you think? Yeah, I fall very much similarly with Claudia in that it is a high bar to cross uh, when you have 1989's film to sort of stack against. Uh, to me, for example, I find that the decision to go very photorealistic with its character design, so like the... Sebastian looks like an actual crab and Flounder looks like a very sickly actual flounder. (laughs) And so while you have these like fantastic actors like Debbie Diggs and Aquafina doing amazing voice work, the expressivity that they have in the actual characters can't match them. So it, it just feels very incongruent. It sort of takes you out. Um, I will say I have not been able to get part of your world out of my head since I watched it, which is a testament to sort of that amazing song and Halle Bailey's sort of performance, which is fantastic. And I think it's sort of the saving grace of the film. But to me, all the narrative tweaks that they do, uh, like puts it, like it makes it a little bit more convoluted that it needs to be. It, they paint themselves into a lot of plot corners that it really can't get out. And I don't know. It just, yeah, it just made me want to rewatch the original. We're talking about The Little Mermaid live action adaptation of the beloved animated version, Rob Marshall directing. It's rated PG and it's in wide release. 
Nicole Hall of Center's new comedy, You Hurt My Feelings, stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. It's the latest from Hall of Center, uh, the writer and director who's a critic's favorite. Manuel, what did you think of You Hurt My Feelings? I love this movie. And part of it is because I'm a writer. So this the plot, which follows this sort of novelist who finds out that her husband actually doesn't care for her work, <laughs> um, felt a little close to home <laughs> in the sense that you're always going to be a little bit protective about your work and your talent. And, you know, uh, Julie Lou Dreyfus plays this novelist and how she slowly unravels uh, as she finds this out and sort of it creates a sort of crisis of faith in her own talent, but also in her marriage and in her trust issues. And, uh, you know, as all of Hall of Center's uh, films, it's sort of really small and it focuses on sort of um, very human foibles um, that sort of end up rippling out sort of her relationship with her husband is strained, but also her relationship with her son and with her friend and her sister. Like it just, um, I don't know, it just bowled me over because no one does wry melancholy and, you know, dry exasperation quite like Louis Dreyfus. And so she carries this film and I just loved it. It's a lovely mix of drama and comedy and it, it felt like a warm blanket um, when I was watching it. By the way, our John Horn talks with Nicole Hall of Center later this hour on Film Week. We're talking about her film, You Hurt My Feelings, Claudia. I agree a thousand percent with Manuel. I loved this movie so much. You rarely see smart, perceptive adult comedies about family relationships. There's another one that we'll be discussing later, which is the polar opposite. Um, <laughs> this is, she's so perceptive about the human condition mm. and how people really feel and really act. And while it may, it may feel small, um, it is she, and it, she knows that this is not, you know, these are first world problems in a way, but it's not, um, she, she takes that in stride and she kind of has some playfulness with her, the way she looks at the human condition. You feel like you've crawled into these people's skins and you've inhabited their lives for a couple hours. And uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus is amazing. She was so great and please set, uh, in, please, what was the, her, the, the other Nicole Hall of Center? Enough said. Enough said, Enough right. Said, yes, yes, that's right. I'm mixing the, the two Nicole. <laughs> uh, I love her so much. Um, uh, she was really great in that and she is just fantastic in this. Um, and Nicole is just brilliant. Um, um, she grapples with these complexities and the universal struggles, and she, you know, you're, you're. There's so much meat there. I found myself driving home. My took my husband to watch it, and you know, we were talking about the real issues. And at the same time, you're laughing so much. And there's a great subplot with David Cross and um, <laughs> Amber Tamlin, who's his real life wife. Um, they go to. Uh, Julie Lou Dreyfus's husband, who is a therapist, Tober, uh, Tobias Menzies, and. They're just constantly bickering, and they finally like get to this point. I probably shouldn't spoil this. Um, <laughs> but it needs it to there. be seen. It there, it's yeah. a great. It does have a great payoff. Oh my god! It's Especially because so this idea that a therapist would actually be the one who's like not able to communicate stuff to his <laughs> yes. wife—it it just yes. adds to sort of another layer. Yes. Oh my god! All the and all the supporting roles. It's just fantastic. Um, you know, and that sort of like taps into the whole idea of, of like truth and um, how much you're willing to tell people. And if you love them, do you tell a white lie? Do you, you know, and then they all, there's a, a really funny scene in which the therapist is talking to this guy. He thinks the session's gone really well. And then it's, they're on Zoom and he hears him say, what an idiot. Yeah. And <laughs> you wonder how many things you know happen like that on Zoom during the pandemic, particularly. Well, I, I'm so curious if Hall of Center idea for the film comes at all from personal experience. Yes. Yes. As a writer, Hopefully John Horn will delve I'm into sure that. that comes up. <laughs> you Hurt My Feelings is Nicole Hall of Center's new comedy starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's rated R, and it's at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. The Max and HBO documentary Being Mary Tyler Moore looks at her career arc. Of course, uh, you know she was a co-star of one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, The Dick Van Dyke Show, and then starred in also one of the greatest sitcoms in TV history, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, James Adolphus is the director of the documentary, Claudia. I like this documentary a lot. Um, full disclosure, my first job after college was at MTM Productions as Grant a production Tinker, assistant. Uh, Grant yeah, Tinker Mary was my Tyler boss. Moore. I never met Mary, but I, okay. did, I did meet Grant many times. 
Um, I was a production assistant there as the first female, so I always say I broke through the glass floor. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, the film, uh, and I also was friends with her sister. She went to high school and, and oh. grade school with me. So um, it, it just, it really resonated personally, but I think even if you don't have personal connections, it will resonate. It's a really loving portrait of someone who broke ground and inspired women, but the film doesn't skirt the darker parts of her life. She, you know, uh, acknowledges her. It's kind of like she's leading you through this because there aren't talking heads per se. There's bits of uh, interviews ranging from Dinah Shore to um, David Susskind, who is just oh horribly sexist, and um, Rona Barrett. Remember Rona Barrett? Oh, yeah. Um, Gossip uh, columnist. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, she kind of, uh, she's leading you through her life. And, and, you know, she talks about her diabetes. She talks about her son having died, her sister having died. Um, so, you know, there, she was no stranger to adversity. And so it's a loving portrait, but, you know, it, it also gives you a sense of who she really was. They use so much great archival footage because her husband was the executive producer. I'm sure he had all that. Mm -hmm. And it covers her the highs and lows, I think, uh, quite well. We're talking about the documentary Being Mary Tyler Moore, directed by James Adolphus Manuel. Yeah, I think this is a it's a loving documentary and it's a lovely portrait. I think one of the things that you also really get because they have access to so much archival footage is seeing scenes from the Dick Van Dyke show and seeing yeah. scenes from Mayor Tyler Moore show and actually seeing how great of a comedian she was and how much she worked at it and how much she it really meant to her to really live up to the kind of role that she's been sort of enshrined as, as one of the great television, you know, icons of the 20th century. Um, I think the documentary sort of then stumbles a little bit when she stops the Mary Tyler Moore. I think that the third act of, of the documentary, when it gets into sort of more personal stuff, um, because she was a little, she was a very private person. She was a very, she says herself, she was a little bit aloof. She was a little bit disconnected. Um, I found that the moments when I was trying to then paint a portrait of what happened to her after she left sort of show business and after she had to sort of pivot away, um, because you don't have those sitcom moments and because you don't have, you know, scenes from ordinary people uh, or scenes even from her like Broadway shows, um, I found myself sort of straying away um, and especially when it kept repeating and telling me that like she's not Mary Richards and she was never Mary Richards and I was like I, I, I get it I know how <laughs> actors work um, but you know if you love Mary Tyler Moore this is a treasure trove and especially as Claudia says those interviews and those archival pieces are just fantastic and I'm sure they're not really you really won't be able to find them anywhere else did it get into her dramatic performance it in did. Ordinary yes. People yes, it oh, did. Yes. And, and also how shocking that was for people to see her in a role and to give a performance oh, like yeah. that. To be so dramatic and so cold. It did. And also she um, she did Whose Life Is It Anyway um, and that she kind of redeemed herself because she'd been on Broadway. Um, and oh, and had, a Breakfast at yeah, Tiffany's musical. was a real bomb. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think it did get into that. And it also had people like Julie Louis-Dreyfus, speaking of her, right. and uh, Felicia Rashad and some others talking about, you know, the impact that she had on them kind of growing up. Um and Katie Couric, Katie Couric saying, yeah. that's why she became a TV news journalist. Yeah. yeah, and then that amazing Oprah moment. Yes, where she, you know, surprised Oprah, and to her, she was just like, you know, Mary Richards was yeah. also <laughs> when, when the reason I'm here. When when Mary Tyler Moore died, and and we did uh, the morning that her death was announced, a tribute to her on Air Talk. We had so many women, particularly baby boomer women call in and talk about how significant uh, her performance as Mary Richards on the Mary Tyler Moore show was. And it was it was very powerful to hear that, how many women connected with that character. I, yeah. yeah, it was it was considered ra pretty radical at the time to have to be a woman who wasn't divorced or widowed or Moves wasn't about away to get from married. Her hometown. Yeah, yeah, and to, to enjoy her life as yeah. a you know a, a successful career person. Being Mary Tyler Moore unrated the documentary streaming on Max, also on HBO channels. James Adolphus is the director. About My Father, a comedy that stars Sebastian Maniscalco and Robert De Niro, Leslie Bibb, and Kim Cattrall are in the cast. Laura Teruso directed the screenplay, was written by Maniscalco and Austin Earle. Manuel, what would you think of About My Father? 
Ah, this this is I will admit this is not my kind of comedy and Maniscalco has never been sort of my kind of comedian but I will say I was charmed at parts so Maniscalco plays sort of a, a version of himself as this sort of Italian American uh, guy who's getting ready to propose to his girlfriend uh, you know Leslie Bibb um, and the big hurdle is he needs to get the ring from his father played obviously by Robert De Niro in full meet the parents bad grandpa analyze this kind of mode um, and of course he's a little bit marginally and doesn't really think that uh, you know Sebastian this character will fit in with his girlfriend's very wealthy kind of conservative parents um, and so it, the plot ends up hinging on the two, the father and son spending time, spending the July 4th weekend with her family. Uh, and then, of course, hijinks ensue because this Italian immigrant father uh, may not be able to sort of fit in. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it and pick up on About My Father, a comedy starring Sebastian Maniscalco and Robert De Niro. You're listening to Film Week on L.A. is 89.3. More from Claudia and Manuel when we come right back. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Roll Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. Larry Mantle joined by critics Manuel Betancourt and Claudia Puig. We're hearing about the comedy About My Father, directed by Laura Teruso, starring Sebastian Maniscalco and Robert De Niro. Manuel was just telling us about it before the break. Claudia, what did you think? I was not charmed. Not at all. <laughs> I don't <laughs> the want to hear about his father. <laughs> <laughs> the requisite hilarity did not ensue. Um, <laughs> this is essentially... Uh, uh, yes, uh, much less funny. Meet the parents. Meets a much less engaging big fat Greek wedding, mm. um, with a dash of low rent wedding crashers thrown in. Um, I just thought it was corny, cliched, cartoonish, comedy free. I decided to write down how many times I laughed. I laughed one and a half times. Mm. Um, <laughs> What's a half laugh? You have to demonstrate. <laughs> like a, little, like a, uh, chuck, a chuckle yeah. to yourself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a ha ha, but a ha. Um, <laughs> so, and the other problem, well, it, it's so kind of cliched the whole Sicilian Italian thing um, I don't find him particularly charming I thought he was kind of wooden uh, I feel like it makes me really want to see um, uh, what is it the, the new movie that uh, Robert De Niro has Killers of the Flower Moon because mm. I hear it's fantastic and I need to wipe this memory out of my <laughs> head that's Scorsese yes, film that yes. debuted at Cannes exactly right? and it's yeah. been getting gr- rave reviews um, it's not as bad as Dirty Grandpa but that's a very low bar oh, I just feel like when it comes oh, to goodness. comedy De Niro picks really bad things very forget about it you know and, yeah. um, you know there's like lines like the only they talk about one of the family members being William Love Collins the 11th and then you know uh, Sebastian says, well, the only Italians I know with numbers after their names are the Popes and Rocky Balboa. You know, like, oh, and that's <laughs> not funny. I, and then I think contrasting it with, with Nicole Holof Center, who's so subtle and so clever. Uh, oh, there I, is I nothing didn't... subtle here. Everything no. is broad. The comedy Everything is broad. Everything is so broad. And it is so, the one thing that did drive me a little bit nuts was the amount of voiceover. Like yes, so, I hated that. Oh. And he's doing yeah. the voiceover. And so it feels like it's trying to paper over a Sebastian's lot of issues. Sebastian's doing the voiceover. Yeah. 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 Yes. So he's telling us about his father and telling us about... And he's constantly sort of Show, telling us why... Tell. Exactly. Yeah. Telling us why we should be laughing as opposed to asking us to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a haircutting scene with Kim Cattrall where he's a hairdresser and, oh, he accidentally cut off all her hair. Oh, oh. And it was just and so she many... didn't notice. Yeah, she didn't notice until the very end goes, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... And then these people 
people are pushing 50. They're like 48 and 49. Why do they need the parents' blessing? They're I like, know. you know, it didn't. If they'd been in their 20s, I might have forgiven it a bit more. But. About My Father, the comedy is in wide release. It's rated PG-13. T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets stars Ray Fiennes. The film's directed by Sophie Fiennes. It's unrated. Manuel. Right. So Four Quartets is obviously one of the greatest modernist uh, poems of the 20th century written by T.S. Eliot. And so what this is, is a filmed production, a filmed stage production, uh, where Ray Fiennes recites the entire poem um, with little else than two chairs on stage and with some sort of lighting. It's very minimalist. Uh, he is, as anyone who's seen him on stage or on screen, he has a beautiful voice. He's a dramatic, he's a venerable dramatic actor. And he really sort of captures the spirit of this poem that's about um, modernity and time and sort of these like larger questions about nature and humanity. Um, it's really engrossing if poetry read on stage is your thing. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm an academic. I, you know, I, I went to grad school. I wrote a lot of dissertations on like modernism and postmodernism. So this was sort of very much my my thing. Uh, I know that telling people that, you know, an hour and a half of Ray Fiennes reading modernist poetry with little else other than like some shots of nature Maybe a hard sell, but I I just find, you know, when you get lost in Eliot's words, um, it can be very moving and sort of, I was just reminding of the power of poetry and that to me is something we don't get a lot of. So I, I was probably, I'm probably a little bit more generous than, than most. When... Manuel, was this just filming one of the performances that he did on tour throughout the UK or did was this done more as a film experience independent of that if i'm i don't know if i'm making that clear yeah no it seems uh it this is clearly a filmed production i don't know if they did it while he was actually performing it um i i'm trying to remember but i don't think we get we don't get shots of the audience and i don't think okay. it was shot with an audience so, so this was special, special for the film but yeah. essentially what what theater goers saw exactly yes right. with a couple more close-ups t.s <laughs> <laughs> Eliot's four quartets is in select theaters and it's unrated the hole in the fence uh, a drama mystery uh, the film is directed and co-written by joaquin del paso claudia please tell us about the hole in the fence I was very mesmerized by this film. I think the director, Joaquin Del Paso, has a, a way with visuals and atmosphere. You feel this disturbing ominousness of the story from kind of the start. I thought it was a, a smart and disturbing thriller, um, pretty artfully made. Um, it opens with this kind of bucolic scene, um, and it's never going to be bucolic quite like that again. Um, there are children uh, coming to, or young Guy, young kids, um, like maybe teens. early teens, yeah. adolescents, yeah, um, you know, coming to this religious camp in Mexico, um, and they are berated, they're mocked, they're taunted, they're bullied by the adults that are there. There's racism, there's homophobia, there's cruelty, there's sadism, but it happens in a very sort of slow-moving um, way. It's done really well. You get the sense of ominousness. Um, it can be stomach-churning at certain points. There's some really beautiful scenes where they're, they're standing at windows. There's a scene where all the boys are gathered standing at this window, and there's like this helicopter taking off. And hmm. um, It's kind of an indelible image because you know something bad is going to happen. You've always had that feeling that something terrible is going to happen. Um, and that I'm not going to give anything away, but there's a, a final scene of a little boy at the side of a road that, that yeah, just kills it's... you. Um, I, I really thought this was very intriguing. I think he's a really talented filmmaker. We're talking about the hole in the fence. It's a Mexican production. It is as a Mexican well? production set. In, well, it's a co-production between Mexico and Poland. Poland. Oh. And first, I was thinking was the woods. I thought was a shot in Poland. Uh, but then they go into the town, and it's clearly in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And it's all in Spanish. Yes. Uh, what did you think, Manuel, of uh, the hole in the fence? Yeah, I think to me, intriguing is a great word, um, and it's very much big on mood, right? So it's these. It's supposed to be this getaway where boys become men, right? And it's sort of like a controlled Lord of the Flies environment, like that they really want a kind of savagery and a kind of like primal masculinity to come through, which is of course terrifying when you get you know a bunch of teenagers who are just egging each other on to be more violent to be more 
um, sort of rough and rugged with one another and stomping down and people who look different and act different and are emotional. Um, to me, it never quite ends up building as mu- as well as I would like it. I think it's sort of like a lot of premise and a lot of setup. Uh, and then I-, I-, I didn't never quite know where it wanted me to land or where it wanted me to take me with all these provocative images, all these provocative scenes, a lot of scenes that do make you want to turn away, want you make you like run for the hills and not the hills that they're up but some other hills probably um but yeah intriguing and mesmerizing um but i i don't know if, if it all sort of adds up especially i, I with kind of final. agree yeah i'm not sure it, it came together i think he's he's clearly trying to say something about class and and um entitlement but um yeah i maybe it stopped short of really coming together but i feel like this is a really this is a talent that it will be really interesting to watch the film is the hole in the fence it's unrated and it's at lemley's glendale theater the mystery drama reality stars sydney sweeney and josh hamilton film directed by tina satter who co-wrote the screenplay with james paul dallas manuel what did you think of reality i this is a fascinating film um so this takes place almost in real time, uh, and it takes us back to you know June 2017 when reality winner, uh, this 25-year-old, um, was confronted in front of her Georgia house uh, by two FBI agents who then will, as we know if you followed the story back then, uh, will arrest her, and then she'll eventually be convicted of espionage and having um, smuggled out documents um, that proved that there had been some interference into um, election ballots from some Russian malware. Um, what's fascinating is that the entire film, it's taken from the audio transcript that the FBI agents recorded that day. So word by word, all you're watching is exactly what happened. But of course, Sidney Sweeney, who you know is in Euphoria in, in The White Lotus, um, gets a chance to sort of give us texture to what it is that was happening and how reality, that's her name, uh, slowly reveals why it is she gave these documents to the press, why she felt the need to sort of then like go outside the law to do so because she felt a commitment to um, sort of freedom of the press and that we should know these things. Um, So it's this like three-hander of these two officers trying to get all this information and trying not to reveal her hand. And she's, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. And and it eventually constantly reminds you that this is a transcript, that this is actually what happened, that this is actually, because it almost feels too perfect and it almost feels like a play. Um, I, and Sweeney is fantastic. I think she's one of the best uh, actresses of her generation. Like the thing she does with reality, uh, and the way she slowly sort of unravels and tells us about it, it's just mesmerizing. And I, I love her. We're talking about the drama Reality. It's streaming on Max, formerly known as HBO Max. Sydney Sweeney stars Tina Satter, the director and co-screenwriter. It's unrated. Also this week, I'm Not Crazy, I'm Sick, a documentary about Lyme disease directed by L. Brooks Tao. Uh, Claudia, what did you think? This is an example of the documentaries that we've we've had a fair amount of on the show where they're about an important subject and, and intriguing on the face of it, but not terribly well made. So, you know, separating that out is important, I guess. Um, so it's pretty comprehensive. It's about Lyme disease. It profiles several people who have suffered from it. Um, it shows the havoc that it wreaks on their lives, people who go undiagnosed. It shows how it isn't, you know, uh, insurance doesn't cover the treatments. Um, it's one of the producers, executive producers, is a person whose daughter had it. It's interesting in that it feels very, it just doesn't feel terribly well made as a documentary. However, the cinematographer, Claire Popkin, was the person who shot Free Solo. So I, I'm wow. not quite sure why this isn't uh, maybe it's just because it's a lot of talking heads and a lot of information so that kind of bogs it down um this certainly doesn't have obviously the vertiginous cliff drops or any of that so you know if it's a subject that you find really interesting if there's a personal connection what i did find interesting statistically was that there are it's the fastest growing infectious disease in the u.s there are 476,000 new lyme cases emerging each year that's more than hiv aids that's more than west nile virus more than malaria combined so you know, and there's still many doctors who don't think it's real. It didn't really explore that enough. I mean, it was very definitely on the side of, 
you know, this is a real thing. So I guess I would have liked a little bit more from the opposing side. I'm not crazy. I'm sick. The documentary is on demand starting next Tuesday. It's unrated. Kandahar, an action thriller starring Gerard Butler. The film's directed by Rick Roman Waugh, Mitchell LaFortune, the screenwriter. Manuel, what'd you think of Kandahar? I did not care for this film. Um, Part of it is that if I tell you that this is a film starring Gerard Butler and it's an action thriller, you probably know exactly what you're getting. Um, And you sort of do. So he's playing this uh, sort of undercover CIA operative um, who finds himself, as so often happens in these films, you know, doing one last job um, in Afghanistan that, of course, goes awry and, you know, um, everything starts going wrong when his cover is blown and he needs to find a way to get himself and his translator out of harm's way and they need to get to Kandahar. Um, so what's interesting, sort of interesting, is that this kind of boilerplate thriller is set amidst, uh, you know, the U.S. having pulled out of Afghanistan and sort of what that power vacuum created in this in this region. Sort of it's it's trying to, it's flirting with the sort of geopolitical crisis that's happening and it sort of it feels like it's trying to give us some nuance about that and, you know, he's, his allegiance is sort of hard to parse out and, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's all, he's trying to blow stuff up and get out of harm's way and shoot a bunch of people that don't look like him and eventually... I think we, I'm not going to spoil everything, but <laughs> I think you could probably gather where the movie ends up uh, arriving. And so there are some um, sort of intense action sequences and some thrilling moments. And but, you know, at, at the end of the day, this is the, this is the Gerard Butler vehicle. So I, so if you have if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy, I think like this is not going to disappoint. Right. Remember the beginning of his career? He was so interesting back in his early like Scottish that. indie days. What happened? Kandahar yeah. is the film. It's rated R and it's in wide release. Uh, we're just about done. Just quick influencer starring Emily Tennant. Manuel, we're seeing it all. Just quick uh, thought on it. Just quick. Um, this is sort of a thriller about a, a woman who's targeting influencers in Thailand and maybe offing them. Um. <laughs> yes or no? On it. I'm a no on it. All right. <laughs> influencers unrated and it's available on multiple streaming services. We'll continue on Film Week coming up. We'll be talking about the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival. Carlos Aguilar, the film critic, will be joining us. We'll be back in just a moment. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Roll Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3, joined by critics Claudia Puig and Manuel Betancourt, and making a trio of critics is Carlos Aguilar, freelance film critic who every year covers the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival, which takes place over next weekend, starting on Thursday the 31st. Carlos, very good to have you with us to talk about uh, some of the uh, most interesting films to be screened. We appreciate it. First of all, just a general thought about the importance of this festival before we get to specific movies. Right, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the uh, most important gathering of Latino, you know, films uh, in the city. And I think that what uh, has turned it into such an important, uh, you know, uh, film festival is the fact that 
they really put forward U.S. Latino filmmakers uh, making the sort of difference between filmmakers from Latin America and U.S. Latino filmmakers. They do include, you know, all films from, you know, Argentina, Mexico and all over the, the continent. But they they sort of have a special place for those stories by Latinos in the U.S., uh, which tend to be underrepresented at festivals. And so I think that the program that they put out every year kind of combines stories from, you know, both uh, sort of uh, sides of the Latino spectrum and within those two sides, sort of the different countries and experiences that, you know, that comprise this sort of like very large umbrella that is the Latino experience. Where is the venue this year for the festival? Uh, I believe it's it's the same as it's been in past years, which is the 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 Chinese theaters in Hollywood. All right, very good. Well, let's talk about Flaming Hot. This is a film that's gotten a lot of attention, directed by Eva Longoria. Uh, the story of Richard Montañez, I know there's been a lot of controversy as to whether he really was the discoverer of the Flaming Hot Cheetos and originated it. Uh, he worked at Frito-Lay. What did you think of this uh, fictionalized account of his story? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a movie that wants to be a crowd pleaser and wants to sort of honor the legacy of this man without getting into, you know, the controversy or sort of like being too, uh, you know, kind of a, it, it wants to be sort of more uh, to as an, work as an homage rather than get into the nitty gritty of what really happened or whatnot. And I think that, you know, the lead performance by Jesse Garcia as Richard Montañez is sort of, uh, really engaging and and kind of a uh, charming in in an interesting way. Uh, I think that you know Eva Longoria as a director uh, shows promise in this, and I think that's that's interesting. I do feel that uh, that the controversy around it might sort of uh, kind of overshadow uh, the film in a way. Uh, but it's playing at the festival, and it might be one of the few times people will get to see it on the big screen because yeah. this one is. Uh, premiering directly on Hulu uh, later in in June, so oh. this is sort of like its big uh, big screen uh, showing after premiering at the Sabas that was festival earlier this year. And really big screen because it's going to be at the TCL IMAX uh, screen for Flamin' Hot. That'll be uh, coming up Wednesday next week at uh, seven o'clock. The other shape, an animated film from Colombia and Brazil, uh, directed by Diego Felipe Guzman. Uh, what did you think of of the other shape? This is a really peculiar animated film. I think in in general, it's still kind of rare to see animated features from Latin America. It's still not a region where where animation is as prominent as you know, say Europe or or Japan. Uh, so anytime we get a chance to see an animated feature from Latin America, it's sort of like a special treat. Uh, this one's a psychedelic, um, Hondran, uh, universe in which every human wants to turn their head into a square, like a little square. So they they wear these binders to sort of like force their bodies to turn into a square. And of course, it's sort of like a kind of like an easy metaphor for like fitting in and, you know, kind of like abiding by societal rules. But uh, it's a movie that has uh, no dialogue. So it really works uh, in, in a visual manner. And the animation is really peculiar and unique. Uh, so I, I found this one kind of like a, a rather peculiar entry into yeah. the options of the festival. We're talking about uh, from South America, the animated feature, The Other Shape. That screening next Friday, June 2nd at 9.15 at the TCL Chinese Theaters. Uh, Claudia, you also wanted to mention a film that you programmed for the Santa Barbara International Festival, Manuela. Yeah, just a quick note. It won our jury award for Best Spanish Language Latin American Film, Manuela, and um, it's it feels very timely. It's about, uh, I don't want to say too much because it's, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about a nanny um, and some of something she experiences. And it's just, it feels very of the moment and it's very well made. All right, Manuela. Uh, also, we have Daughter of Rage, a Nicaraguan film uh, that is written and directed by Laura Bauermeister. Uh, what did you think of that, Carlos? Yeah, this one is a sort of a. Uh, naturalistic coming-of-age movie and it's been heralded as the first Nicaraguan movie directed by a Nicaraguan woman. In the past there have been other fiction films directed uh, in made in Nicaragua but by European filmmakers so this one is sort of the first one by a, a native Nicaraguan 
uh, woman. And so it tells the story of this young 11 year old girl who works uh, at a landfill, sort of, you know, finding things uh, and lives with her mom. And somehow they came into possession of this litter of pit bull dogs. And they, they're trying to sell them to sort of like gain some money and fix their house. But of course, uh, circumstances sort of change the course, uh, the trajectory of their lives. And, you know, the, the young actress, Ara Alejandra Medal, who plays Maria, the, the lead in this film, is really great. And so I think it's an opportunity to see a film from a, a country in Latin America that we so, so rarely have gotten to see yeah. any stories from. All right. Daughter of Rage, Nicaraguan film. It's next Saturday, June 3rd, 5.15 in the afternoon. TCL Chinese Theaters also recommended Ope Soledad, uh, a film from Mexico, which screens next Saturday, 2.30 in the afternoon, TCL Chinese. Carlos Aguilar, thank you so much. We have more to come on Film Week on L.A. It's 89.3 in just one minute. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. You Hurt My Feelings is the latest film from writer-director Nicole Holofcetter. Her previous movies include Please Give, Lovely and Amazing, Friends with Money, and Enough Said. That film starred Julia Louis-Dreyfus and the late James Gandolfini. Well, Louis-Dreyfus and Hall of Center team up again for the new film, You Hurt My Feelings. It also co-stars Tobias Menzies. LAist entertainment reporter John Horn talked with Hall of Center about her latest project. I want to ask you first about Overheard Conversations, um, which is a fulcrum um, in this film. There's an author in your film, played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus, and she overhears her husband, who is a therapist, talk about how he really doesn't like her writing. Um, And she overhears this, obviously, without his knowledge. And it's a turning point in the film and kind of a turning point in their relationship. Was that something, because so much of your stories are inspired by things that happened to you or your friends, is that drawn from some sort of personal experience? You know, I have to say, thankfully, it's not. Um, But it is one of my greatest fears. And, of course, I think that um, people are lying to me. So, uh, I mean, not all the time, but some of the time. um, I worry that they're lying to me. I think I can tell when they're lying to me, and it's humiliating. Um, And sometimes I wish they would just tell me the truth. It's like, just come on. I can tell you didn't like it. Maybe you liked the last one, or maybe not. Um, but no one's ever going to say that. Um, and it was just a, it was just a fear, um, that something like that could happen. And I'm sure it has happened. I just don't know about it. I'm sure, um, that many of my loved ones prefer one movie or over another, or, you know, think they're crap or whatever. Um, but it's, it, that's kind of what made me want to explore this topic. So many years ago, not that many, when I was working at the LA Times, I was going down the stairwell and I was behind a fellow reporter and her editor. And it was two flights and they didn't know I was behind them and they spent the entire two flights, or this reporter, she spent the entire two flights trashing my work and just went on and on and on. And I decided not to say anything, mm-hmm. but it definitely colored my relationship in working with this person going forward. It was, it was like unbelievable. And it was total, tr- like they just trashed you. Yes. Anyway, that is, I know how damaging it can be personally, mm-hmm. but your situation is different because mm-hmm. it is a, a husband and wife right. talking. Um, I just remembered one. I was screening a short film that I had made at NYU, and I thought it was, you know, pretty terrific movie. I was really proud. Everyone told me how great it was. And someone behind me said something like, when is this going to end? It was devastating. And and then later my stepfather actually said that, you know, maybe I should have a plan B after he saw that movie as well. So that I wasn't so happy about that. <laughs> um, I can imagine. And I'm really glad that I got better. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about adjectives, because they're very important to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character. She sees dust jacket uh, blurbs, and what other people get is a blurb perilously close to perfect, 
what she gets isn't quite as <laughs> nice. It's a terrific read. Right. And that feels like anybody in the creative enterprise looking at quotes of their own work. Is that something that that is personal to you about blurb quotes? Perilously close to perfect. I don't know if that's a real saying, but it sure could be. It was, believe it or <laughs> was not. Was it about your film? Yes. Aw. And it was thrilling. And I thought, oh, I have to put this in because who would ever believe that? And if it hadn't been written about one of my films, um, I would just want to kill the person who, who got that quote. Um, yeah, of course I look at quotes and i very choosy about the quotes that go on my own work. And I mean, I'm really kind of making fun of myself. So the last time you directed a movie that you wrote was probably a decade ago, right? Uh-huh. So a lot can happen in 10 years. How much of life experience is reflected in this film? And was there something that happened to you that made you want to go back? I mean, all of your films outside of Land of Steady Habits were written by you. Was that experience interesting, but you felt you had more stories to tell? What about the, the switch back to things that are vaguely autobiographical, inspired by life, whatever we want to say they Completely are. inspired by life and autobiographical in a non-literal way, for sure. Um, well, I don't make movies very often and I don't have a lot of ideas that stick with me. So I love the opportunity to direct somebody else's stuff. Um, I've been trying to write my own screenplay since Enough Said. And um, I think I actually did write one, but I didn't like it. And this one took a long time to finally find its place. And um, it took a long time to make it good. Um, but those are the ones that um, I love doing the most. And I, I don't really think about what's happened in the last 10 years or how I've matured or blah, blah, blah. It's, it's more just writing about me and now and the things that are curious for me, are interesting, inspiring, embarrassing, my worst fears. Um, my friends' lives and some of them questioning, you know, this is, you know, I don't have many years left. I'm not even middle-aged anymore, um, beyond. And uh, am I doing anything that has meaning? Um, of course, I ask myself those questions. Everyone I know asks them. So it, it was very close to home. When you said it wasn't easy to write, what was the mm -hmm. biggest creative obstacle in terms of putting the story together? What was the nut to crack? Well, it was a completely different story at one point that I got sick of writing, but it was kind of a Julia character. And then um, I wrote it with a diff the male character. Tobias's character had a very different job and a different character, and I wasn't happy with that. And neither were financers. Um, and uh, I don't know. It just took me forever. And, you know, I did... The Last Duel, and I did some television shows and all that, um, so I was busy. And there you go. I mean, I'm not prolific, and I'm generally not a fast writer. Or I might write a first draft quickly, but, but it's a mess. I'm going to ask you about casting, because I think there are a couple of actors with whom you hadn't worked before, yeah. some you had. Mm -hmm. um, what does that do to you as a filmmaker? You obviously have people you work with over the years. When there's somebody new thrown into the mix, how does that challenge you as a storyteller, and what do you learn from that actor who hasn't done movies with you before? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I have to learn how they like to be directed, and not all actors are the same. And I've been really fortunate that the actors I've cast, and I don't know why, kind of all work the same way. Nobody demands an enormous amount of rehearsal. Nobody demands a, you know, a big binder full of backstory. Um, they are intuitive. They seem to get the script. We rehearse a little, and we have fun. And they like to be directed. Um, I have had on occasion, mostly on television shows, when I don't know how the actors like to be directed or if they like to be directed, I've been snapped at, um, you know, been given stink eye. Uh, you know, uh, some actors I can say, try it happier. Seriously, because they know where I'm coming from. Right. You know, maybe this is, maybe you're happy hearing this, maybe you're not, let's try it lots of different ways. And some actors will stare at me like, are you seriously giving me that direction? And then I feel like an idiot. 
there's a literary agent in the film who says of Julie Louis-Dreyfus's Louis writing, you're not a new voice, mm -hmm. which is something that is said in this business a lot, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's not even like hidden, it's just pure ageism. Like if you're a certain age, you don't have a story to tell, and that story isn't relevant to anybody. I know, John, you know, we're just, we're right on the edge. <laughs> we might be out of a job pretty soon. Our voices are older. But it's not, a, it's not anything to do with the quality of the story. No. The story could be written by a 12-year-old. It's the author. And mm -hmm. the, the assumption is that somebody of a certain age can only tell a certain kind of story. Right. Um, obviously, your films are about people who tend to be your contemporaries in terms of age. Mm -hmm. But older directors can do stories about younger people and younger directors. I mean, yeah. look at Sarah Polly and Away From Her. Mm -hmm. um, can do stories about people who are much older than yeah. her. Yeah, and men can direct movies about women beautifully, and women can direct movies about men beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in that mm -hmm. tiny comment, you're saying a lot about mm -hmm. how people are seen as artists, that there's only a certain kind of way that you are seen, and if you're not seen as the thing that people want, you're not valued. Right, right. I mean, I don't get sent thrillers to direct. I'd love to direct a thriller, but I get sent scripts that, are, that resemble my own. And, you know, I love making those kind of movies, but I'd love to do something different. Every film has a scene or a moment that doesn't quite fit, that you hold on to near and dear, and either it's, it's superfluous or it just doesn't make the edit. What is that scene in this film? Well, of course, I don't think it is, oh. but I know what it is. I mean, it's the, it's the scene in the doctor's office, right? Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? And yet, I wanted to show that Julia's character does love her mother and does take care of her. She might be a whack job, in, you know, infuriating, frustrating, but she's there for her, and especially in the following scene when they're at the coffee shop and she grabs her hand, I wanted some warmth between the, the two women. And I, you know, I did read a review recently where someone said, I think you should have cut that scene out. And it was much longer, trust me. <laughs> <I'm glad laughs> I knew enough to trim it. Uh, Nicole, I love yeah. hanging out with you, you and talking too. with you. Thank you. Thank you. That's writer-director Nicole Holofcener talking about her latest film, You Hurt My Feelings, which is in theaters now, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. If you missed out on what our critics had to say about that film or any of the others throughout the course of this hour, go to LAist.com. You can listen to full episodes of Film Week anytime or download it wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend from all of us at Film Week. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com events. See you there.